0: It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode 87, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. Simon Huntley is the founder and developer at Small Farm Central, a technology company focused on farming business success with a website builder designed for small farms, a CSA member management and sales solution, and more. Simon is also the author of the new book, Cultivating Customers. Small Farm Central grew out of Simon's work with an expanding CSA program in Western Colorado. Simon got into online marketing before e-commerce was cool and definitely before its use was widespread in the farming community. And serving over a thousand direct marketing farmers, Small Farm Central and Simon have a lot of direct contact with what's working and what isn't in the direct consumer marketplace. We dig into the world of marketing and relationship building for small farms, including how to apply the marketing funnel concept in your farm marketing, how to build trust and create a sense of authenticity with your customers, and what to do with your website to get customers engaged with your farm, how to get your customers to open your email newsletters, and much, much more. This was a really value-packed episode, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Thank you for joining me for the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Farmer to Farmer podcast is made possible with the generous support of Vermont Compost Company, founded by organic crop growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high-quality compost and compost-based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. vermontcompost.com. This episode of the Farmer to Farmer podcast is brought to you by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are versatile, Maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on the farm. Gear-driven and built to last for decades of dependable service. bcsamerica.com Simon Huntley, welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Hey Chris, I'm really excited to be here. So glad you could join us today. I thought it'd be nice if we could start off by having you tell me the history of how you got to the point of starting Small Farm Central before we
1: dive in and talk about Small Farm Central itself. Yeah, well it's funny, I I guess I never... In some ways, I never thought I'd get here, but in some ways, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I grew up on a small farm in southwestern Pennsylvania, so in the Pittsburgh, uh, Pens- Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, western PA. It's sort of the hills of Appalachia. And my farm. my parents were never full-time farmers. Uh, my dad was a coal miner. My mom was a university professor, but they did a lot of things on the side: sheep and hay, and pigs and chickens, and a big garden, and you know whatever else. You know maple syrup, whatever else they could figure out to do. So uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure it was ever their goal to be a full time farmer. But one thing I can say is that you know, I was never interested in the farm as a kid. You know, I'd have to wake up early on Saturday morning when I imagined all my friends were. I don't know, sleepy in or something, and have to go out and like chop firewood or, you know, whatever it is for the day. So uh, I always sort of resented that, I guess. And, uh, but I was always really interested in computers and programming. So I was like making games and, you know, involved in some of the early, you know, uh, when, when the internet came around, getting involved in some of that and taking lots of programming courses. So I was just really interested in building things and creating things with computers. It was just always fascinating to me. Um, and so uh, I studied technology in college. Uh, I went to Penn State University. And while I was there, I I, I spent... I guess the genesis of it was that I um, I went to Europe for a summer after I guess my first year of college, and to make the money last, I had to figure out something to do that wasn't travel the whole time so I ended up doing um, woofing and I spent some time uh, on some farms in Austria and as I did that, I was like, oh, this is sort of interesting what they were doing you know this this is starting to make a little more sense to me and so after that seed got planted in my head, seeing some of the new things that were going on in agriculture at that point, I just got more and more interested in it as I went along and did various different things, but it, it led me to eventually work with a um, with a fruit farmer after college. So um, it was again through the Wolf Program, the Willing Workers on Organic Farms. I uh, suppose a lot of people know that, and so I showed up on a farm to work for a couple of weeks and ended up working for a couple of years as as the farmer was starting a CSA program, and we, m- me and my now wife, got a chance to really be deep in there and, um, and and get to help him start this program, which is a really great opportunity as it turned out. Um, and so through that experience as it, and as it was time to leave, I was like, well, how do I combine this interest in farming with this interest in technology? And, and so that's really where Small Farm Central came from.
0: Tell me what you did with that Colorado farm and their CSA that helped you start Small Farm Central?
1: Yeah. So I basically built a uh, a CSA member management Platform for them during the winter and while we didn't have work to do. I said, "Well, I I really you know enjoyed doing that stuff. As I said, building things with computers is just really fun. It's it's a really fun thing for me to do. And so I said, well, you know, I could streamline the sign up process and give members like a way to talk to each other, take payments. And so um, you know, this is before there was anything out there that you could just buy. And um, so I built that and built a web. Website on top of it, and you know, in some ways, looking back now, that is really the genesis of what Small Farm Central does. And so, I took that, and and then you know, the next year when uh, my wife and I came back to Pittsburgh, where where I still live, and I said, well, how do I do this for other farms at a price that makes sense? I, really what I started with. At first, it was websites for farms. And so I didn't really worry about the CSA member management. But the the problem I really saw is like farms need a website. And it's really hard to build. And this was, you know, this was uh, 10 years ago now. So things have really changed in this space in 10 years. You know, there's a lot more tools out there. But at that time, you either did it yourself or you went to a designer and paid thousands of dollars to get it built. Those are really the two ways to do it. And neither of those seem very tenable uh, to the farmers that I was talking to. And so I built a little group of farmers to build this software for. I built a group of about 10 farms and and built built this website platform for them. And it's something we do uh, still today. And so I was just solving that little problem of like websites for farms. And I think that that, you know that was a really good a really good place to start because it it was a, it was a real problem and, and remains actually a problem that that it, that it can be difficult for a farm to get a website and that's something I talk about in the book
0: it's so interesting to me cuz you were getting into the technology side of things when e-commerce like you said was a relatively new thing and i i remember in the fall of 2006 i took a class in decora iowa on e-commerce and and we set up a shopping cart on my website and we sold some some meat shares that December using PayPal as as the the payment platform. And there just weren't a lot of options about ways to get things done. You know, offering credit card transactions 10 years ago wasn't something that most farms did. Um, And so I think it's interesting that you kind of you saw that potential and and dove in and, and made that work. And I feel like you've done a lot around making it easy for not just for farmers to have an online presence, but for their customers to be a part of the CSA, to engage with that in a way that is that they're used
1: to engaging with their online world. Yeah, it is funny. Like you say, I mean, I think when when I was getting started, there were these questions around like, does a farm even need a website, you know, or would people be willing to put their credit card online? <laughs> you know, these are questions that weren't totally answered. I mean, now we know the answer to those questions, I guess. So maybe now it's like would uh would someone be willing to put a credit card in on their mobile phone? You know, it's and and the answer is, well, maybe not yet, but yeah, they probably are going to be willing to do that. Um uh, it is interesting to see how things change when you're working in technology, and I, you know, any business is like that. Even farming, you know, that changes so much in ten years. But technology, just, you know, Facebook was just getting started. Um, you know, Twitter didn't even exist, right? So that's it's very interesting. So one of the things that you've done with Small Farm Central is to
0: really make it a hub of CSA activity. I mean, because you've got more than a thousand farmers who are part of Small Farm Central, you've you've really used that to leverage actually getting information about what's going on in the CSA marketing world, or I want to say the CSA movement, but a lot of times I think, I don't know, it doesn't doesn't always feel like a movement anymore, but the CSA way of doing things, you've really worked to gather some information about that and have published for the last couple of years, a, a kind of an end of the year CSA farming annual report.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's been really fun. I, I, I've just been really, really passionate about the CSA model since we did it in in Colorado and um, helped help that farmer start a CSA. Just seeing seeing the members come to the farm, um, seeing their kids come to the farm, and get to you know pick something on the farm, and just seeing how. Happy they were, and and also just seeing from a marketing perspective, because we would do farmers markets too. We would, um, you know, the long days of selling at farmers markets and then bringing home all this produce and and throwing it away. Whereas we'd look at the truck on CSA day, and it was full, and we knew that everything on it was sold. You know, so just from just from that like business perspective, um, I've always loved I've always loved CSA, and so it's been fun to be able to take a leadership role in this. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, movement maybe seems wrong to me. Maybe we call it a community. CSA community might be the right right terminology. But yeah, the so the you mentioned the CSA Farming Report. The yeah, we call it the CSA Farming Annual Report, which people can go on. Um if they search CSA Solutions Hub, then they can go in and find it there. And that's been a really interesting thing. I guess we just sat down, you know, I I sat down one day and said well, hey, we have all this data in our system. Why don't we just try to pull out, you know, in an, in an anonymized way, what is interesting? Like, what is going on throughout all CSAs? What's the overall retention rate? What's, um, you know, what's the average price of share? How many how many people go to each pickup location? Just whatever whatever we could figure out in our data. And you know, we are somewhat limited in our data because it, it's based on you know, we don't have. You know all the data about what what each CSA is doing, but we do have certain things, and it's different than a regular survey because it's it's not self-reported, right? It just it's just based on what's happening inside our platform. So that's been really really a fun thing. It's led to some other things like the the uh, our CSA day. We we learned that the the biggest day to sign up for a CSA share is the last Friday in February, <laughs> and I didn't think of that much of that for a while. But then someone mentioned that to me and said, that's a really interesting date. And I said, well, why don't we just make that like national CSA day? <laughs> and so that's been a fun thing to do the last couple of years. We had about uh, 800 farmers participating at last year and hope to do more this year. So so it, it's led to some really interesting, really interesting things. I want to come back to to some of the data that you dredged out of that report. But I, I like the
0: idea of the National CSA Day because it actually hits on something that you talk about in the book where you outline these different kinds of customers and kind of looking at what's already working and trying to do more of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And trying to it it gives just for a CSA farm, it gives them a focus to market themselves at a time of year when they really need that money coming in and really need people to get to commit, and so I think that's what I've done throughout Small Farm Central. Is like, how do we work together to solve these problems? Um, you know, and and how do we not like all of us reinvent the wheel? You know, I think that's one thing that, you know, maybe, maybe is a strength in some ways, but is also a big weakness in the sort of small farming universe is that we're all doing our own thing on our own farms and it sort of has to be that way. But those places that we can work together, that's, you know, that's where, that's where, what I try to do at small farm central and use technology to do that. And CSA day was a way to do that in a way that is just really fun. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun.
0: What else have you learned from analyzing the data and from the CSAs in your program?
1: One thing that I've really been focusing on is the retention rate. In the two years of the report, I believe the overall retention rate has been around 45 or 46%. And so that means between years, CSA farms on average are keeping between 45 and 46% of their customers. They're losing uh, 55% of their customers each year. And for a while, I didn't think too much of that. But really, over the past year, I've been saying that speaks to a major problem. If we're churning over half of our customers every year, then there's a huge disconnect between what customers think they're going to get and what they actually get out of CSA. And that's, that's been an area of my study for the last year is just trying to figure out what, why, why are CSA customers leaving? And I'm sure we could spend, you know, we could spend two hours just talking about that. <laughs> so I don't know how in depth you want to go. Um, but, well, but tell, tell me why, what, I mean,
0: I know you've got a short version. Why are CSA members leaving?
1: Yeah. So there are obviously a lot of reasons, right? People move, uh, circumstances change uh, where maybe they can't get to the pickup location as easily, things like that. So, so so, there is a certain amount of churn in the CSA program, and by churn I mean people leaving, that, that is unavoidable. But one study that I really leaned hard on is there's a, uh, there's a California, a study out of California that he studied, it's Ryan Galt's study, he, uh, I forget. He's at one of the University of California systems. A really interesting researcher, really going into CSA. And so he studied 1,200 CSA members, uh, f- current and former CSA members, and he asked them a variety of questions. And it's great. Maybe we can link the we can link it up in the show notes. I think people Absolutely. would love it. it. It's just it's it's really well done. But there are a couple slides that I really focus on. It's like why do why do customers leave? Why do CSA customers leave? And the top four reasons were all around choice. And so people really want... they didn't want to, you know, if they if they didn't like beats, they didn't like getting beats in their box, you know, and, and there were, there are were different ways of describing that of those top four. But it really, that's really what I saw as it came down to choice. And then, so I took that and I, I've been doing a lot of in-depth interviews, one-on-one interviews with CSA members, especially former CSA members, and say, you know, sit down with someone for half an hour and just talk about their experience. And people love their CSA, but, it, but what happens so much is they get things in their box they don't know how to use, they don't like... It sits in their refrigerator for two weeks. It rots. They feel horrible about it the whole time because they love all this great produce. And then they end up throwing it away. And that moment when they throw it away, <laughs> that's when they decide they're not going to join a CSA again. And they're just, they'd rather go to the farmer's market. And then they probably don't go to the farmer's market because, you know, things get in the way. Uh, and then and then we have sort of like lost that customer from buying local and buying from farms. And so... That's really what I've identified. And, th- and th- there are other things, too. And I think but but really, it comes down to that choice. And and that's a that's a hard change to make. It's 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 hard to figure out how we're going to do that within the confines of CSA.
0: Well, and especially for a small business to to make that kind of diversity accessible to people. I mean, when Amazon.com, it's easy for them to make choice because they can stock a little bit of of a of a million different products. But, a, but for a small farmer who's serving 150 or 200 members, developing that choice is not such a simple thing to do. No,
1: no. There are a variety of models. One simple model that I like is um, what I call the market style CSA. And there's a variety of these. You know, every CSA is a little different, of course. But a market style CSA, I would define as the, the produce is put out in bulk bins and the member sort of goes through and picks things themselves. And you know, maybe the, the share is totally predefined. It's up on a board. It says you get two zucchini and two heads of lettuce or whatever it is. And sometimes it can be a little looser than that. Maybe there's a little bit of choice in there. Maybe there's full choice. You just come in, fill your bag with what you want, and you leave but a couple years ago I, I looked at the highest retention farms within small farm central and uh, i think i picked 3 and i just like talked to them about like what's their secret sauce like how are they able to retain more members because we do have farms that are retaining 70 80 90% 95% of their membership so what's the difference between that and someone that's retaining 45% and really that all all three of those farms were doing some variety of a market Style CSA. Uh, and there are some big drawbacks to a market style CSA too. So, you know, you have to staff that pickup. You have to um, probably bring a little bit more, but then you don't have to box. You know, so so there are some, some good things and some drawbacks about that. You got to have probably have a larger pickup location. Instead of it making sense, you know, maybe for 20 or 30 people to be dropped off at a certain place, you probably need to have 50, 75. Maybe a hundred people coming to a certain place, so that can be harder to to get that many people in one place. Um, so, so there's some things to think about there. But the the market style CSA is one thing. I mean, we're we're working to build some new models into our software that that can accommodate this. And um, but still, I mean, to me, the key is how do we give customers choice without turning this into a grocery store? Because I really feel like if we if we compete with grocery stores, we lose <laughs> you know they grocery stores are always going to win um, they're it's going to be more convenient it probably is going to be cheaper um, you know so so how do we keep the cSA and cSA because it has been a remarkably successful concept in a lot of ways um, so how do we keep the cSA how do we keep the specialness of cSA well well around the margins building in um building in some more choice because to me, it's not antithetical to the CSA model to have some choice in the box. It isn't, we've just sort of done it with standard boxes because it's easier, um, because that, you know, and, and, and because, yeah, because it's easier, right? Cause it's easier and it, <laughs> and,
0: and yeah, I mean, if you want to make, and I guess some of that, it comes down to what's the choice that you're going to offer your customers. If you're going to offer your customers a choice of, um, you know, we did nine different drop sites in the Twin Cities metro area when I was farming and that and that was over a 200 member CSA. So, we were we were servicing a lot of pretty small sites. And again, we could offer that choice because we packed things up in boxes and dropped off 10 here, 20 there, 50 there. We didn't need to have 75 or 100 people showing up at one spot at one time yeah. to make that work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's going to be challenging. It's going to get harder, but and, and the market is really changing. You know, I think that there are just ten years ago when when I was running my CSA and you know when you were running your CSA, things were different, right? There were less choices for local food. Um, you know, now there's aggregators and Whole Foods and local grocery stores are doing really well. Corner stores are (laughs) getting in on the act. So everyone has more and more choices. Um, And this speaks to, like I said earlier, about like how how business changes over time. This is just how CSA is changing. And I think that one thing that I've really become aware of is we're never going to get to a certain place where we're done. (laughs) You know, we're done with our work and that that everything's perfect. Right. It's always going to be a continual process of changing With the marketplace and 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 learning, that's one thing my book really goes into. I think is uh, really understanding our customers, because it's it's not about what I want for my business or what you want for your customers uh, or what you want for your farm, but it's about what your customers want and building building the products and services around what your customers want, because they're the ones who pay the pills in the end. And so that's really been a mindset shift for me over the last couple of years to really understand that. And that's why I've been really, you know, sitting down and having these interviews with customers and trying to really understand them. And, and I encourage in the book, I, I encourage all farmers to do that, sit down with your customers and really listen and listen with an open mind. And I think that, that, that kind of investment is so huge. One of the things
0: that you talked about in terms of making investments in customers was this idea of of a of a customer life cycle and and moving cut potential customers through what you called a marketing funnel.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? So yeah, the customer lifecycle describes how someone goes from being just aware of your business that you exist and all the way through to actually buying from you, maybe joining your CSA, maybe visiting you at the farmer's market, maybe becoming a a regular customer and all the way through to telling their friends about you because that's how most of the word about your business is really going to be spread is through word of mouth. You know, one, one thing that I really think about in terms of this is that... There's a really big gap between someone visiting your website or someone liking you on Facebook and actually making a purchase from you and actually supporting your business because that's what it's really all about. I always say like your your, your employees don't get paid in Facebook likes. <laughs> so <Right>. um, <laughs> you know, that a Facebook like, sure, that's that's fine. But really what we want to do is move them on from being liking you on Facebook or join your email list or uh, coming to your website and actually coming and purchasing something from you. And so that's really what that, that, that model is about. Uh, the, the funnel is is just moving people down. And so maybe when they visit your website, trying to get their email address, get, get you on your email list so you can communicate with them over time. And so that's really what that marketing uh, funnel is about is just keeping keeping people more engaged for your business and buying from you and then coming back over time as well.
0: Well, and I like the idea of the funnel because you've laid out these five steps or five stages that you might think of a customer as as being in, right? They start at awareness, they move to interest, move through evaluation to commitment and then referral. And as you're setting up your marketing platform, I think it makes a lot of sense to be thinking about how you're addressing each of those different people in your audience,
1: yeah. So you know we talked about the commitment stage. So how does someone commit to being a sort of a long-term customer? Because you have those, like say you're selling at the farmers' market, right? You have those you have those customers who come back every week and they spend fifty dollars a week, seventy five dollars a week, and they're like your your best customers, right? And they drive probably a large portion of your sales because then you have those other customers that, only come two or three times a year. And so like the real opportunity there is to turn those people who just come three or four times a year and turn them into customers that come weekly. And so thinking about how do you do that? Is it, is it some kind of loyalty program? Is it some kind of like market box program where people buy ahead of time and you're, or join your CSA, you know, those are some ways to get people deeper in your relationship. Is there, there are certain people out there we all know them that, that go to like Walmart to buy all their groceries. Right and and they're probably not a good target for you spending your time on on those Walmart customers but those people are already pretty committed to getting out to the farmers market or you know however you're selling if you're selling a retail farm market how do you get them to to engage with you more how do you get them to spend more when they come there so really really think about that and then and it's one thing to think about it and make some theories about it, but then you need to go talk to your customers and and try to see. Like one thing that we've been really successful with is text messages at farmers markets, texting people like an hour or two before the farmers market, so they can't forget about the farmers market. That can be a really effective way um, to to get people deeper engaged with your business and and purchase more from you.
0: It's been surprising for me making the transition from being a farmer to being somebody who's not a farmer. And, you know, I think as a farmer, if you've got a farmer's market that you're doing on a Wednesday afternoon, it's really part of your week. And you have a whole lot of things that are organized around that. And I know even when I was living in town in Decorah after I sold my farm, I was six blocks from the farmer's market. But most Wednesday afternoons came and went without me remembering that I needed to get off my duff and walk those six blocks down to the farmer's market and go shopping. And I think it's, it really speaks to what you're talking about from a marketing perspective of getting into your
1: customer's head and not just coming at it from your own perspective. Yeah. And so, as I said, it's just sitting down with people, making theories about what might drive sales and, and talking to them and, and trying it out. As we're moving people through that marketing funnel, what are some of the
0: factors that make a difference in people being willing to move to the next step?
1: They've got to start to know and trust you at the beginning, I think that's that's really important is that if someone just visits your website then you have a couple seconds to for them to start to trust you and understand why you're a farmer, why why you're important in their life, why, why you're important in their life. So nice nice photos I think go a long way. I talk about this in the book. It's like photos or something that that's a real big asset for a farm because you know you're starting to compete against these larger companies like you know your local grocery store we talked about or Amazon or you know whoever else is going to get in this this um, sort of uh, local food fresh space. So so what a farmer really has is authenticity and, and true authenticity. If that's like a, a paradox in terms, I don't know, but true authenticity. So telling the story of your farm and the you know the the fun parts and the difficult parts of it but but telling that story using photos using video using anything you can you can to connect people because it really has to be in some way it has to be more than just about the box of food right i mean if you're in a CSA farm there's the box of food but now there's a box of food available in a lot of different places. And so the, the, the food has to be infused with your story. And so you do that through really good communication. Maybe we could talk a little bit about how to set up a communication process with people that, that hits people. But you need to be producing something, say on a weekly basis, like a little story about the farm. And that's gonna go out to your Facebook page. That's gonna go out on your email list. That's gonna go out in the blog, on your website. Um, so, so I think that, that trust the trust step is a really important, uh, important part, especially when they're just starting to become aware of your farm and just learning about you. Um, But then, you know, when they're just learning about you, how do you, that funnel is all about how do you engage them more deeply? So they're on your website in that awareness phase, or they've heard about you from a friend. And so what do you be really clear with them and especially this—a good example is like when when they're on your website, it's like being really clear about to them what you want their next step to be. I recommend email marketing as a really nice next step. So really feature that on the page is like get people to opt in to the mailing list and give them a reason why they should. And um, yeah, so like what kind of a reason why they should? <sighs> Well, tell them that they're going to find out what's going to be at the farmer's market, for example, if you're going to be at a farmer's market and tell them that they can one thing I really recommend if you're selling at farmers markets is to segment your list. And by segment your list, I mean have different email lists for each farmer's market. So you can sort of tell the tell the customer that you're going to receive information just about your farmer's market. It's going to be relevant. To you, uh, and then again, this is like getting your customers' heads. They don't. They don't care about the farmers' market that's twenty miles from their house. They're never going to go there. They don't want to hear about that. They are either going to get get annoyed and they start ignoring your emails if you if you email them about that, or they're going to unsubscribe. And uh, so, so that could be one thing. It's just giving them. Saying hey, I'll let you know what we're going to have at the farmers market that week, or maybe there's a special. You could have a special deal. You save, you know, sign up for our email list, and uh, you'll save five dollars at the farmers market next time you come. It doesn't always have to be a monetary reward, but um, just that's a way to start getting thinking. Is like, don't tell people just hey, join my mailing list. No one needs any more emails, right? (laughs) Um, So why (laughs) why should you join my mailing list? What what is it? What is it going to do for the customer?
0: Well, again, you're thinking about what, what does it do for the customer instead of what does it do for me? Getting somebody on my mailing list is all about me, right? Doing something for the customer, giving them a coupon, giving them some sort of extra engagement at the farmer's market, doing something that makes them feel special or gives them something of tangible value, even if that's just a list of what you're going to have at farmer's market, is, gives them a reason to actually sign up for that newsletter. I, I'm curious about what to do on a website if you're selling CSA shares. Moving from wow, I'm I'm interested in your CSA. I've now clicked around on the about page, but I'm not ready to sign up and make a decision now. How do you how do you get those people engaged to have them come back after they talk to their partner, after they After they really sit down and and do their household budget or after they look at all of the other websites for all of the other CSAs that are operating in your marketplace, how do you get those people to come back to your site and sign up for your CSA share?
1: Yeah, huge challenge, right? Because it's a big, it's a big commitment for someone to make to, to join a CSA. I mean, not only the money part of it, but going to pick it up every, to pick it up every week and, you know, everything that's involved with CSA and figuring out what to do with a Kohlrabi. it's, It's a huge trust relationship that, that it's a huge leap that someone's taking to trust you as a farmer to produce this box, to, um, you know, to, to do it every week throughout the season to, you know, there is, so I think that that's the first thing that, that a farm needs to understand is it's a huge leap to actually join a CSA farm. So, and that's why it's it's the retention rate is particularly disturbing to me, right? Because it is that huge leap to join a CSA farm. So someone's made that huge leap and done everything, and then they don't join again. What a disaster, right? So first, I think it's trust, right? So so how do you thinking about how do you how do you talk about trust on your website? Talk about you know, how long have you been doing this? Maybe uh, reviews are really important. Um, getting getting reviews on your website from current customers and, and making them making sure that they feel authentic getting reviews throughout the internet about your farm is a, i have a whole chapter in the book on that it's like how how do you get reviews and so that's that's sort of like social proof both on your website and on different review platforms is one way to start to get people to trust you and then of course there's the email list so thinking about how people can Get on that email list so they can, you know, if they're thinking about your CSA, they might join your email list. And then later on, when you have a special offer or, you know, just as they get your emails over time, then they'll join. Um, You know, one thing that we do with, with our platform is if someone gets halfway through the process at least to the point where they've given us an email address, but they don't actually complete the transaction. They get to the checkout page and then they sort of freak out and are like, you know, uh, I'm not ready to commit or I don't have my credit card on me. In I forget if it's like 24 or 48 hours later, we send them an email and say, Hey, you didn't complete your transaction. Click here to continue it. So, you know, to the extent that people can do that, that that's one way to to get people back. There is this like social thing where you need to sort of talk to your partner, you know, or maybe your housemate or whatever it is. So could there be a little button on there that says like email, email a friend about this and click it and type in someone's friend? We don't really have that built into our platform, but something we were just talking about yesterday.
0: I like that, you know, sort of a, so almost a, a micro commitment, you know, so, something where somebody can make a really small investment, not even monetarily, but they're basically saying, I've evaluated this website and I'm making a commitment. And before I make the big commitment, you know, if I'm emailing a friend about it, that's saying, I mean, all of a sudden they're putting themselves behind your brand.
1: Yeah. And then, and just thinking through that, you know, just asking that, question that you're asking, I think is really important. So what, what would hold people back from joining a CSA share? Is it, is, it you know, is it a down payment issue? So could you have a smaller down payment and charge over time rather than accepting 100% of it upfront? And I know a lot of CSAs are doing that now. So, so just thinking through, yeah, what's the, what's the smallest commitment people can make? Some, some a farmer I was just talking to a week or two ago said they do a CSA for a day promotion on their website. So you can actually buy uh, a CSA during the season, of course, you can buy a CSA share once and then, you know, maybe they keep their name on file and, um, and bring them back, hopefully bring them back next year as a full CSA member. Or, um, there's one farm that I heard of that for their best farmer's market customers, if they're trying to turn them into CSA members, they'll give them a little, uh, a coupon to bring back the next week that says they get a free CSA share. And so, these things are, can be sort of costly, but if you're going to get, uh, but if you're going to drive CSA membership and you can track that, it can be a really worthwhile investment. But how do you get people interested in it? Well, and I always like
0: the idea of giving away product rather than making the product cheaper. You know, if you if you can if you can get somebody hooked into the CSA by creating a sense of reciprocity. Wow, we gave you a CSA box that that creates an incentive for somebody to actually say wow I got something now I want to give something back yeah. one of the things that I've seen in CSA is that you know back in the 1990s early 1990s when when CSA was really taking off there were a lot of farms that that you know they had a core group the core group went out hired a farmer there was a real sense of commitment you know you read these stories about about the late 80s and early 90s of of a group of people you know 100 people sitting in a barn and basically passing around a clipboard people are writing down how much they're willing to pay for their CSA share and they get it at the end and they go okay well we're $20,000 short on our budget for what we need. And they pass the clipboard around again and people raise their bids, you know, and, and this real strong involvement, you know, it, 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 it's called community supported agriculture. And, and I, I always feel like some of these things that we do, you know, monthly payments, even they take away from what was originally there as a concept, you know, the original idea Theoretically, was that in January, people were buying CSA shares so that in March, the the farmer didn't have to focus on marketing. They could just do the CSA. They could grow the vegetables and and get them to the customers. And then this this community was already committed. And sometimes it feels to me like, like the more we use these different tools, the further away we drift from what really made CSA special. And what really I think embodied the heart of CSA. And I, I also have to add the caveat here before I ask you to comment on that is that, you know, my CSA farm did not operate that way. You paid us money, we gave you vegetables, and and we did everything that we could. But in retrospect, I feel like that created a really weak model for us because it didn't really encourage that sort of long-term commitment
1: by a community of people. It's a great point. And I don't know if I have (laughs) the perfect answer for it. I think that to the extent that you can involve people as a core group, I think that that is a great thing to do. And maybe it doesn't have to be as you're committed as some of those original models where everyone's paying different amounts and everyone's working on the farm. But what if you just asked for seven or nine people that are like your core members to to be, you know, call them a core group and ask them questions because you always have questions about your membership and have them be ambassadors for your farm out in the community. So are there ways that fit into the, into sort of more modern lifestyles, I guess, or or whatever. Um, But again, it just, it has to start with the customer. You know, customers aren't really saying that they want another community. You know, they have communities out. So for them, it's not about community, I guess, to some degree. And I, I think that, well, w- uh, I went to the, there was a CSA conference and was it Wisconsin last year? And one thing that I heard a couple of times was that that was really interesting anecdotally is that people who visit the farm during the season had a much higher retention rate than people who didn't visit the farm. So are there ways that you can get people to come out to the farm? Um, and that's, not, I know that's something a lot of people do. One, one thing I, I, I thought about is like, what if you could give people a discount on their next season share if they made it out to the farm <laughs> once during the season? Would that be a way to drive retention? So I, I think you need know, to sit down and talk to customers and see what they want um, and, and see what really engages them.
0: Simon, with that, I think it's time for us to take a break, get a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Simon Huntley from Small Farm Central. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is made possible with the generous support of Vermont Compost Company, makers of Fort V and Fort Light potting mixes for organic growers since 1992. Founder and owner Carl Hammer got started as an organic vegetable grower, where he learned that quality transplants really mattered, and that quality transplants come from quality potting soils. Just like the donkey in their logo, Vermont Compost Company potting soils aren't glitzy, they aren't glamorous, they're steadfast and consistent, stubbornly making certain that your transplants can get everything they need from just a few cubic centimeters of soil. And even though it's not all about saving money, Vermont Compost Fall Pre-Buy Program can help you get what your plants need at the best price with the best shipping options. Their full truckloads and shared truckloads program organizes shipping to other regions in ways that sometimes get shipping prices down to the level you'd pay right there in the great state of Vermont. Plus, you pay a lower price for the potting soil. To get a quote from Vermont Compost, go to the ordering page on their website and submit the request to quote form. This form also adds you to their mailing list so you stay in the loop on the program. And remember, the donkeys that I mentioned earlier, they're the real thing. You get a little bit of donkey manure in every batch of Vermont compost potting soil. Feed your plants the best. VermontCompost.com Bandwidth for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is provided by BCS America. A BCS two-wheel tractor is the only power equipment a market gardener will need with PTO-driven attachments like the rototiller, flail mower, power harrow, rotary plow, snow thrower, log splitter, and more. You name it and you can probably run it with a versatile BCS two-wheel tractor. The first time I used a rototiller way back in 1991, it was mounted to a BCS two-wheel tractor and it spoiled me for life. When you get behind a BCS, you can tell that it's built to the same commercial standards as four-wheeled farm tractors. I've used other tillers and mowers and I spent most of the time when I was using them thinking of how much easier it would be with a BCS. On my own farm, We went through a number of so-called solutions before we finally got smart and bought one for ourselves. Even though we owned a four-wheel tractor to manage our 20 acres of vegetables, the BCS tackled jobs that we couldn't do with the larger machine, from mowing steep slopes and around trees to working on our high tunnels. Check out bcsamerica.com to see the full lineup of tractors and attachments. And we're back with Simon Huntley from Small Farm Central. So, Simon... You know, we were just talking before the break about getting customers out to your farm and how important that was in getting customers to renew. That, that, that in Wisconsin, at least, there's a certain correlation between getting people onto the farm and, and having them sign up for their next season. But, I mean, really what, what that's about is create, creating relationships with, between your customers and you and between your customers and the farm. And I think one of the things that that a lot of people are doing right now is is connecting through digital media as a way to foster relationships. And I've had several people on the podcast who've talked about this, but I'm always interested in this idea of how do we create real relationships with people through
1: digital media? interesting yeah <laughs> how are you how are you saying the difference between real relationships and online like how do we actually get them out to the farm when
0: i say a real relationship i mean not so much necessarily getting them out to the farm i mean but you know relationships usually a two-way street right if i get you out to the farm as a customer i'm i'm seeing your face i'm shaking your hand i'm meeting your kids but if if we're engaged in a social media relationship or sending a newsletter, a lot of times that's me broadcasting into the void, yeah, and not really getting anything back.
1: Yeah. So, couple interesting things here that bring that brings to mind for me. So we talked a little bit earlier. I don't want to get so much back into the CSA idea, but we talked about market style CSAs and that that they seem to be correlated with a higher retention rate. One thing that I got from a farmer that I thought was so interesting is that when you have that market style CSA, you have to, for one thing, either the farmer or some of the farm's employees have to staff that pickup because it's, you know, there's bulk bins to move and everything. So, so you create that relationship between the customer and someone who works on the farm. And one of the farmers said that he encourages all of his employees to get to know everyone's name. So just that, like. Just to get to know people, it's like hi Sandra. When someone comes through the checkout line at CSA, that that's a way to sort of. Uh, uh, I know you're big on systems, Chris. So it's like that's a way to like systematize uh, personal relationships, which maybe should not be systematized. But we can have little rules, I guess, of of how to of how to do that. But on the digital side, it's all about being authentic. I think there's a there's a great farm in Eastern Pennsylvania that everyone should follow who wants to learn about this it's called yeehaw farm and i'm forgetting her name but if they look up yeehaw farm they should find her on facebook and she posts just really and maybe she fears a little bit towards oversharing in a way that a lot of farmers wouldn't be comfortable with and i understand that but she had this one post that i that i show at conferences sometimes to to show this is that she has this picture of a sort of a, it's of her older dad sleeping in a, on a couch and there's a chicken and like at his feet and then she tells a story about how her her dad's been sick and you know he sleeps a lot of the mornings but this chicken comes to the door knocks on the door with its beak he he opens the door lets the chicken in and throws a little food on the ground and he sort of sleeps snoozes there while the chicken eats and then the chicken knocks on the door and and gets let out and so it's just this really affecting story about family and farm life and it's authentic and I don't know. It's just such a beautiful story. And it got like, it got a thousand likes and 400 shares or something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was just something that really touched people. And so there's, there's a great story there. There's great photography there. So those are the things you have to do. It's it's not about like, um, you know, taking a picture of the farm with no people in it and posting that on Facebook and expecting that's going to get engagement. You need to think about what's real and like what, what's a heartfelt way to show what your farm's doing and why they're doing it and why it's important for people to support it. So there's no, there's no prescription for that. That's going to be different for every different person, um, and, and every different farm. But I I think it, it starts with authenticity because that's really what a farm has. That's a hard prescription, Simon, because, because I, I, I've got two things that
0: that come up for me. I mean, one is is simply that now, in grace, in addition to being a great farmer, suddenly I've got this demand to be a great photographer and or a great writer. And then the other thing is, that all of this stuff takes time. You know, it it, it I mean, to sit down and and write a story and craft it well and think it through. That's not something you just you just do in
1: five or ten minutes.
0: And the carrots need to be weeded. Right.
1: Yeah. So, and I'm very, you know, aware of that as a, as a former farmer myself. And, you know, I understand how many things there are to do in the day. And one thing I would, you know, I think there are ways to sort of to build this into your farm in a way that makes sense for you and sort of reduce the, the time commitment. But one thing I would say is that if a farm is going to sell direct to their customer, whether it's through CSA, retail farm stand, farmer's market, it's a really great way to get get a higher price for what they're selling. you know, so they're going to get retail price for it. and the the downside of that is that you actually need to, you know, actually sell it. And so part of that is marketing yourself, right? So I guess in some ways, I would say if a farm doesn't if a farm can't make the time for this um, or can't do anything, then maybe it's time to think about, market where they don't have to do it something like wholesale or you know something else and so i just think it's vitally important one thing i say is like is that a farm without marketing is just a big compost pile (laughs) you know and so um (laughs) and that's true right so i totally understand what you're coming where you're coming from and i think that we need to think about how it fits into the overall farm but i think we also need to understand that it's vitally important that that growing things is just part of the job that we do as farmers as direct marketing farmers at least um, you know if you're if you're a corn and soybean grower or something and you can you know load up semis with corn then you don't have to worry about telling your story you know um, because it doesn't matter what your story is so that said how how do we build it into sort of the life of a farm and so my most concrete suggestion is to put it on your calendar and so I think two hours is enough during the week to do this. You can probably do it in a little bit less. But if you put that in your calendar, you say Tuesday morning from 10 to noon, that's my marketing time. Don't bother me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do it then. Um, and sometimes the pigs get out and and you miss that marketing time. That's okay. That's going to happen. But at least it's on your calendar and you'll do it most of the time. And then you can use that to build a... Uh, Yeah, I prescribe this in a book a little bit and have, I think, even more on my website about this is how to build a communication schedule that that works for you. And you can get it done in those two hours, schedule everything to go out throughout the week. And um, so you can get on with being a farmer because you can schedule this stuff ahead of time. Um, Should we go deeper into that? Just from what you've said, there's there's really two sides to this
0: structuring of your of your communication with your audience is that. You've got the the content creation, and then you've got the actual content publication. And so yeah, I'd I'd love to to dig into that a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah. So my suggestion is okay, yeah. So that's a good way to put it. So there's a so you sit down, it's 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 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, it's the start of your marketing time, and you sit down and Take a look through the photos. So hopefully you've been gathering photos through the week. Maybe you've had, you can have your employees maybe take photos. Um, So I like to build this communication around a photo and around a short story. And so one thing I say is like, you don't need to write 2,000 word blog posts. No one's going to read them anyway. Um, it's a very visual, you know, visual medium these days. People want to see photos. That's how you connect people. So I say like a photo and then a story of like two to 300 words or something like that is more than enough um, to connect people. So so pick a photo from the week and it's, pro- you know, you can sort of learn over time what people engage with, but it's probably going to have some people in it. It's probably going to have some kind of interesting story. You don't have to do... Like that story that I told of uh from Yeehaw Farm, you know, that's a <laughs> that's a pretty special story. I don't want to like overwhelm people and think you have to come up with something that's special every time. But but try to, you know, try to pick something that's that's really interesting for you um from that week and and then write a write a short little story about that. And so, okay, so now you've got your content and then it's time to schedule that to go out. Um Now, it sort of depends what your marketing platform looks like. And again, I go into more depth of what I would recommend. But if a farm was starting at zero, what I would recommend is that they have a Facebook page, a business Facebook page, a website, and an email list. Those would be my three things that I would have a farm to do if they're starting at zero. So maybe we can just use that sort of example. And so... So what happens is that this this piece of content that you've created, it goes onto your website as a post, maybe a blog post, or it goes onto a page. And then you link that. Then you put the story on Facebook with a link to your website. And then you schedule an email to go out with this Uh, with this photo now the email uh, might be market would be nice if you say you're selling at farmers markets or something time through the week maybe you have two farmers markets during the week you want to send that email about 24 hours before the farmers market to sort of prime people to come and so hopefully you've segmented we talked about this earlier hopefully you've segmented your list so you know which customers are going to which farmers market and they've sort of opted in and so you can schedule that ahead of time with your email marketing software and then you can schedule some specific posts on Facebook about your farmer's market, maybe what's gonna be there that day. And you can schedule these ahead of time so that you're not stuck in the office two hours before the farmer's market when you should be loading a truck. Right.
0: So so part of this is using the tools that are available out there. You know, like you said, Facebook scheduling, setting up an email to go out at a specific time. Um I know that on on a lot of platforms you can schedule blog posts to be published days or even months in the future. So if you want, you know, if you want something to go live on Friday ahead of having strawberries at the farmer's market, you can schedule that on during your marketing time on Tuesday.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of thing you need to leverage. These tools are out there. They're, they're inexpensive or free. I go into them in more detail in the book, but use, use the, use the tools that are out there and and make sure this stuff is automated. So so if all that stuff happens in that 2 hour period on Tuesday morning, you can go out and do your thing, do whatever you need to do, weed those carrots like you say and and just let the technology do the work. Really one of the reasons why you
0: timed the release of your of your book and as being in October is that learning how to schedule social media posts is a great thing to be doing in December and January,
1: rather than trying to figure out how to use those tools in May. Right. Right. And you can, there are certain things you can do ahead of time. Like you're going to have to work on your website ahead of time. So that's going to be done. You don't have to worry about that during that Tuesday marketing time, you know, set up, set up these tools, understand how they work in the off season while you have some time and then let them do the work for you during the season. And I'm happy to, talk to, I'm sure at the end of the program, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out my email address and um, I'm happy to sort of help people structure these. And I have some more, you know, in the book and elsewhere, I have some more detailed instructions on exactly what to do.
0: When you're doing these kinds of communications, what's the right mix of of sharing your story, of, of building that authenticity and trust and and talking about your mission? How do you mix that with actually selling your products? What's the right What's the right ratio, or, or how do you find that balance?
1: Yeah, I think that in general, people probably don't do enough selling <laughs> with with their social media, with their email marketing, with their websites. Um, so I think you can pro- most of the time sell more. But say if you're trying to uh, put together that, you know, we'll use like the email marketing sequence. If you have one story at the top, which is a photo and a uh, little paragraph about what's going on, the photo, the story. Then maybe you have a little recipe in there about something they can do that week with something that's coming off the farm. And then you know below that, maybe you're talking about what's going to be at the farmer's market, how they can buy something. I mean, I guess CSA is sort of different, right? Because they've already bought. So I guess it depends what you're doing. But but say like for a CSA, you really are trying to sell those CSA shares ahead of time in like January, February, March, and April. Don't be afraid to email people and, um, and ask for their business. You need, at some point you need to ask for people's business. Like with, with, um, with our member assembler platform, people can email just members who have not renewed. And so that might be one thing that can give you a little more confidence that you can sort of push people a little farther. It's like, just email those people who have not renewed and say, we really want your business. Uh, click here you know you can give them a little money off or you know I don't know whatever you don't necessarily have to do that but um but I think you know don't be afraid to sell because that's that's what you built these communications platforms for so don't be afraid
0: then the other question I mean you're talking about sending out emails to your to your CSA members one of the biggest complaints i hear from from CSA farmers about their customers about their membership is that they the membership doesn't open the email
1: newsletters. How do you get people to open their emails? Well, you're not going to get 100% of people to open, open their emails, right? So we when we look at, um, there are some sort of industry-wide benchmarks for like what the open rate is on emails, and it's like 20%. <laughs> and so a lot of farms do a lot better than that. I hear a lot of farms doing 30 to 40%. So you know i don't i wouldn't expect a whole lot more open rate than 30 or 40%. so i'm not sure if that's what i mean do you think that's what people are reacting to looking at that open rate and saying oh 60% of my membership didn't open it?
0: yeah and and if you're trying to communicate something
1: important to your membership then how do you make that work? well i think that the important things i, I when i think about email i think what's the one action i want people to take from this email, you know, I, I only like, you're asking a lot (laughs) to ask someone to even do one thing from an email, right? They're getting hundreds of emails a day. And so, so the subject line has to be really, really engaging. It has to make me want to open it. Like the job of the subject line is to get me to open the email. And then the job of the first line of the email is to get me to read the next line. So I think, again, it's this like customer centric thing. Like think of the inbox of 200 emails. How do you get someone to read that email? Now you say important, you know, your, your pickup location is moving. (laughs) You're going to get a higher open rate on that because of that subject line. And so I, I think for those things where you really need people to open it, it needs to be a separate email with a really important subject line. And um, from there, if it's something really important, maybe you need to print something out and put it in people's boxes. Um, so it may it may take going there. We're, we're also experimenting with um, text messages, as I said, for farmers market marketing. But we're also thinking about like, in what ways can we use text messages for CSA marketing? Because... Or CSA communications, because like for example, if we could text text members right at the moment that the box is dropped off on the, you know, the porch or the coffee shop or you know, where wherever the drop-off location is, if we could text them right at that moment, the text messages we don't really get a whole lot of marketing text messages like we do with emails, you know, emails I say you get hundreds of them a day, but text messages are a little bit more, you know, there just aren't that many of them. So it does just cut through the noise. And, and so we are thinking about that. So again, just, just seeing things from your customer's perspective, I guess, uh, I hate to be a, uh, <laughs> a broken record on that, but that's, that's what I'd say there. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a broken
0: record. I think it's a message that really needs to be heard. And I think it's something that comes up again and again is is you've really got to get behind your customer's perspective and your customer isn't you. You know, you, you've got you're growing vegetables. You're a CSA farmer. You're a far, You're showing up at farmers market with a truckload of produce. You have an entirely different relationship to that transaction than a CSA member or a farmers market
1: customer does. Yeah, and I think that we can easily, you know, as farmers get into this feeling and i remember it you know when when i was growing more actively is like we spent all this time growing all this food and we work so hard and you know why aren't people buying it you know why am i sitting in front of this market table and no one's buying it and and i understand that feeling but it's you know and, and it's, it's about the customer right and it's um so we need to really understand them and it's you know They want to reward your hard work, but they have a million other things going on in their lives. So it really has to be something that um, that speaks to them.
0: If we've got these ways of getting in contact with our our current customers and our potential customers, and largely that's going to come because people have signed up through our Facebook page or maybe even more likely through our website to get these communications. I know one of these things is, you know, When I'm researching farms for the Farmer to Farmer podcast, I see a lot of websites and I have to say the quality is all over the map and and oftentimes has nothing to do with the quality of the farmer or the farm. You know, I see I see great farms and great farmers with really lousy websites. And I see I see really nice websites from people that when you dig a little bit deeper, don't seem to be doing that great of a job. So I'm kind of curious, what are the key elements of a great farm website?
1: I would just say from a mindset perspective, like a a website is just an extension of the work that you do on the farm. So someone who doesn't know anything about the, the work that goes into what you produce, they're going to make a judgment on you based on what your website looks like. And that's not fair, (laughs) but that's, that's the way it is. Um, And one thing that, that, you know, we're talking about marketing here, right. But, the, you've got to have a really great product underneath all this. So, um, you know, marketing is just sort of like, a is a multiplier based on how great your product is. So if, if a farmer doesn't have a great product and they have great marketing, that marketing is only going to take them so far. Like you mentioned the, the the great website, like people are going to understand that the quality is not there over time. So, so I think that farms, obviously they're, everything starts with a great product, right? And that, that could mean that definitely means the produce quality, but that also means the way that the farm is delivering that product to their customer, a really well-designed CSA program, good farmer's markets, you know, whatever it is. So I would say that as a caveat to everything is that everything starts with a great product, but as, as far as a website, one thing that I've started to really focus on with websites is being really, really understanding what the, again, like what the customer needs to know, like what are the jobs that a customer is coming to the website for? So there's a certain amount of people that are coming to the website just to email you, you know, all they want to do is email you or find your phone number or find your, the link to the farmer's market when you're going to be at the farmer's market. So make sure you answer all those questions with your website really quickly. Um, you're gonna need an about us page that's going to succinctly talk about the farm and you know everything that someone needs to know. So that that's sort of like a keyword that I need to see on every website, about us. I need to see the faces of the people growing the food because that's what it's about. And and then, you know, maybe a couple quick things about how they can support you, you know, where where your farmers markets are, if if it's a CSA, something about the CSA, a way to join the CSA online. Um, if you can accept online payments for any part of your farm, do that. And it's going to cost 3%. So you're gonna have to build that into the, the cost of whatever you sell, but, but make sure you're doing that. And then I think I talked about this a little earlier is make, it, make sure it's really obvious what that next step is you want people to do. Do you want them to join your mailing list? Do you want them to follow you on social media? What are the social media platforms you're on? So allow people to get deeper with you as well in any way that you can. So
0: how do you, at a a practical level, how do you do that? How do you let a customer know what to do next on a front page that needs to have a link to an about page and a a where to buy our products and, and all of these other things that you just talked about? How do you actually guide a customer to what's the next step?
1: Well, it's it's so first of it, it's like an information architecture thing. Like you just don't want to have too much information on there. Some you so you say you see a lot of farm websites. So like if there's a, a 3000 word essay on like growing practices or something, people probably aren't reading that. Um, maybe they want a couple paragraphs on that or something. But so oftentimes there's just too much other content on a website that's not important so really strip it down like take everything away and just add in the things that are important um, for the different use cases that you think people are coming to your website for you know understanding like i said before some people are new customers some people are people that are existing customers that just want to communicate with you so uh but for those new customers that want to deepen your relationship i just think at the bottom of the page a a big fat obvious opt-in bar is is Pretty nice, you know, with with an email address and why they should join. We talked about that a little earlier. If there's if there's some little incentive that you can get them to join and that footer, when they get to the bottom of the page, thinking about what should happen in that footer so that that's maybe where you could put those those uh, Facebook those little Facebook links or Twitter links or, you know, Instagram or whatever you're on so people can go there. So it's thinking like they've gone down the page, they've read everything, they've gotten to the bottom. Now they're thinking about like closing it or so how do you hook them right there? When we talk about websites, one of the
0: terms that always comes up is is SEO. Can you talk a little bit about
1: SEO? Yeah, so SEO, search engine optimization. And this has been around for a long time, but basically the question is like, How do I get someone on Google because that's the biggest search engine still and and probably will continue to be? How do I get people on Google to find my farm when they want to find my farm? And so, you know, I've seen, we dealt with lots of farms over the years and I've seen a lot of farms that hire like a search engine optimization expert uh, and that can be very expensive. Um, I don't think you need to do that. So there are, a couple key things that I would say, and again, my book goes into this in more detail, but first the Google's main innovation in the beginning, and it still pretty much works this way is that they look and see what other sites across the internet link into your site. So it's a, a link from another site into your site. And so what that is, is that's an implicit vote for your website. That's telling Google, this is a real business, someone else cares about this. This is this is something that's good content. And so you need some of these links out there just for Google to find you and Google to trust you. And so, you know, an easy way for farms to do that, there's so many like farm directories out there, like local harvest and you know, there's probably local ones in your state. So make sure you're on all of those. You know, maybe if you have a Yelp page or or something like that, make sure that that page links from Yelp into your site. That'll be a vote for your site. Um, and then from there you need to think about the keywords that people should use to find your farm. And so what, um, so if you're a CSA, say you're a CSA in Pittsburgh, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh. So it'd be like, uh, I want someone to find my site when they type CSA in Pittsburgh on, on Google. And so, Put that then, and so then you use those terms and and fill your site in with those terms. And so you might have a page that direct that the title of it is CSA in Pittsburgh, and it talks about your CSA. You might also have that in the title bar. The title bar is a really good place to put keywords, because that tells Google that this page is about csa's in pittsburgh and then another thing you can do is um you know for this specific case if you search csa's in pittsburgh you're going to see that a lot of directory sites come up that list different csa's make sure your site is on that uh, is on there so again this maybe this comes back to thinking of yourself as 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 the customers like search the terms that you would want your farm to show up for and what shows up does your farm show up if it doesn't what do you need to do but um so so first is like so first is getting LinkedIn and then thinking about the keywords you want people to use and have your website directly respond to those keywords. And if you can do those things, you get a lot of the way towards what a very expensive SEO consultant will, uh, will give you. One other thing that you've mentioned as a couple of
0: times as we've gone through our conversation this morning is about referrals and reviews. So how do you get those?
1: So the two different things. So reviews, uh, I have a, again, chapter in the book about this, but is it's sort of that, that trust phase, right? So people are going to be leaving reviews about your business throughout the internet, probably whether you like it or not. Um, but you can really start to encourage your best customers to leave reviews. Say, you know, pick, um, It's nice to do a couple of reviews on your website, but those aren't gonna be really that trusted because the customer knows that you've put them there. So you are obviously gonna put your best foot forward. So what they might do is go into Google and search the name of your farm, and then they're gonna look at the reviews that come up on that. So there's the Google reviews that'll be on the side of the page, there's Yelp. And so what you can do is just sort of ask, ask your best customers to leave a review on these sites You know, maybe as one idea is as people join your email list, you could have an automatic email that goes out to them and say, hey, if you're already our customer, think about leaving us a review. Click here. And so make it really easy for people to to leave a review. And I think that can be really important in that sort of like it gives people like a social proof that you are a serious farm that other people are interested in what you do. And it says a lot of like good things about you to do that. And as far as referrals, and these are like those word of mouth things that um, you know people are sitting around. I always think like people are sitting around the Thanksgiving table and talking about you know the food they ate that year, and they're probably going to talk about their CSA. So the first thing is, you want to have really happy customers, right? And so that goes back to. You know, really understanding the customer, making sure you're providing a product or service that works for them. But if they're really happy, they're going to be happy to talk about you. And you can certainly do things like if people refer a customer to you, they get ten dollars off or something like that. But you know, honestly, I haven't seen those to be super, super effective. Is usually people talk about you because they want to talk about you, and so they want to talk about you because they're happy as heck about you. <laughs> you know, so that's really how you do it. You, you. You uh, let them trust you. And if they have a problem, you, you know, if they get a rotten, um, a rotten watermelon in their box and they let you know, you send two, two of the best watermelons on the farm next week. And then they're going to want to tell other friends about this amazing thing you did for them. And, and so it's really, you know, it's, it's simple, but it's just about happy customers. So with that, Simon, let's turn to the lightning round. And, and since you're not a farmer right now, what's your favorite tool in the office? My favorite tool, and I've been talking about different marketing methods, is is my email list. And so, there are probably a lot of people out there that have joined our our CSA Solutions Hub and our, our Farm Marketing Minute list. And we have a lot of people on those lists. And it's just, it's so valuable to me to be able to talk to um, all these farmers out there and sort of... Ask questions, And we also have a Facebook group, the CSA Farmer Discussion Facebook group. And so those like community things are really some of the most valuable assets that I've built. And it's not exactly a tool, but it's really a tool that I can use to understand what's going on um, over through the country and internationally and that, that affects my business.
0: And since I do know that you grow a little
1: bit of stuff, what's your favorite crop to grow? Well, it has to be garlic. <laughs> garlic is just such a fun crop. You plant, It's there's something about that's so hopeful about it, you know, you're, it's, it's starting to get cold. It's, well, we planted in October in in this, in this climate. So it's starting to get cold and you plant it into the ground. And so you're like trusting that spring is going to come back. And then it's one of the first things up the next year and it doesn't require a whole lot of, um, you know, a a whole lot of work (laughs) to bring it. You don't have to worry so much about weeds. And then that first time you pull up some green garlic and I will always, um, take a fresh clove of garlic and eat that first one. And that's just such a growing garlic is just such a fun thing to me.
0: And if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing, when you started the Small Farm Central Enterprise, what would
1: it be? If I could tell myself one thing, I would just tell myself to be patient, that it's going to take a long time to sort of Build something that's meaningful and that to really just enjoy the process. I think you know, when I first got started with Small from Central, I I naively thought that you know I was going to release the first version of the software and I was going to be doing it full time right away. <laughs> it didn't take that long. It took me about a year and a half, and then I started doing it full time. But um, to just really be be patient and enjoy enjoy the work that I do. Simon,
0: thanks. You've Really offered us a ton of great information today. I really appreciate you taking the
1: time. Great, it's been it's been great to be here. It's such a fascinating conversation. I always love talking to you, Chris. And
0: before we go, I do want you to mention the the title of your book and and
1: how you'd like for people to go about getting it. Yeah, so it's called Cultivating Customers: A Farmer's Guide to Online Marketing. So if you go to Amazon and search Cultivating Customers, it's going to come up. It's a there's an ebook, there's a paper book, paperback copy, and so it's available right there.
0: And of course, we'll have a link to that in our show notes. Simon, you sent me a digital version of this as a as a preview. And I I took a look through it before our interview, of course. And really a great book, tons of great resources. And what I really liked about it is how you you boil things down to a really practical level. There's not, there's a lot of theory, but I think Every theory that you present in there has something solid that you can do about it, and and a next action step. So,
1: really nice job putting that one oh, together. Thanks. Yeah, it's really important for me for this stuff to be practical because it's, like I said, it's not an end in an in, in and of itself. You know, I don't, no one, some people really do enjoy marketing, but but that's you know it's really about driving profitable you know, farms that are fun to run. That's what's that's what's all about, and, and marketing supports that. One more thing. I, I mentioned earlier that I'm always happy for people to email me and answer any questions people have about their marketing or you know, anything we've brought up in this. So if you want to email me, my email address is just Simon, S-I-M-O-N at smallfarmcentral.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions or be a resource in any way that I can. I love it. Thank you so much, Thanks, Simon. Farmers.
0: All right, so wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 87 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast. You can find the notes for this show at farmertofarmerpodcast.com by looking on the episodes page or just searching for Huntley. That's H U N T L E Y. Remember, you can support the show by going to FarmerToFarmerPodcast.com slash donate. I want to make the best farming podcast in the world, and you can help. Whether you're supporting the show at FarmerToFarmerPodcast.com slash donate, shopping at Amazon through our Amazon affiliate link at FarmerToFarmerPodcast.com slash Amazon, or showing us your love by leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, your support matters. Thank you. And one more thing, I appreciate so much all of the guest suggestions that I received through the suggestions form on com. Please let me know who you would like to hear from, and I'll do my best to get them on the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe out there and keep the tractor running.